2 Thessalonians chapter number three. The Bible says, finally. It's every Baptist in the pew's favorite word. Finally. <laughs> I know some preachers, they say finally, but they don't mean it. <laughs> finally, brethren, pray for us. That the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it was with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, who could say amen right there, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which you have received of us. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For you behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even we, and we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. And that's what they look like they're working, but they're really not. Now them that are such we command and exhort you by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now the Lord of peace give uh, now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a token in every epistle. So I write: the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray to Heavenly Father. We thank you, Lord, tonight. Thank you, Lord, just for the blessings, Lord, that you've given to our church. Lord, I'm thankful for those God that use their talent. God, who have practiced and God just uh, given time and effort into a certain skill and a certain talent that it might bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, to help us to praise you, to worship you. We thank you for that tonight. Lord, I know that not everybody can play an instrument. Lord, I know not everybody can sing. But Lord, I thank you, Lord, for those that take the time, Lord, to serve you. Lord, their service may not be a song and it may not be an instrument. Lord, it may just simply be helping to clean the church and encouraging letter one to another, a friendly smile. I thank you, Lord, for just a church that just loves each other because we love you. We ask you, Lord, tonight that you just help us one more time to not just read the word of God, but to glean from it practical truths, practical realities that we're all gonna face in our Christian life that we all need in our Christian life. We pray, Lord, for our church. Pray, Lord, you put a hedge of protection around it, Lord. I'm thankful, Lord, the, the place that I get to go to church at Lord, I get to raise my family in a good church. I get to participate and be a part of a good church. Lord, I thank you for that tonight. Lord, I just ask you, Lord, that we just continue, Lord, to grow in our relationship with you, have a deeper, greater, more meaningful walk with Christ. Lord, we ask you, Lord, tonight that you just work on our hearts, help us leave out of here different the way that we walked in. And we'll give you all the glory, we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Here, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he's writing this letter from Athens. 
And we know tonight that he has much invested in this church in Thessalonica. And we know that he is one of those that helped plant the church, helped start the church, preached there, brought the gospel to the region of Thessalonica, and there God started a church. And to be honest with you, the church at Thessalonica has a wonderful testimony. They have a great testimony. They have uh, the great blessing of Paul. But Paul, in chapter number one of Second uh, of First Thessalonians tonight, he gives an overview of the church of Thessalonica. Here's what it sounds like. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, yet with joy of the Holy Ghost, uh, so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. And from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. That's as Paul is saying, we go places to bring the gospel. And they say, well, that church at Thessalonica has already brought it here. They've already shared it with us. They've already done the great commission here. We see in verse number nine, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Paul said the proof is in the pudding for Thessalonica. In essence, we would say like this, Thessalonica got it. They got the gospel, they got saved, and then they got busy about the Great Commission, sharing the gospel, building the church, edifying the saints. In verse number 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And so Paul, when Paul's writing the Thessalonians, now some of the, some of the epistles, Paul had to correct some things. Paul had to lay some things out for the church at Corinth. Corinth had to turn to carnal ways and, and, and fleshly ways and, and things that are wrong. And when he's writing the Thessalonica, especially the second epistle, Paul isn't necessarily correcting them, but Paul is, is in essence encouraging to guard that which God has given them and, and to hold it to high esteem that they have the gospel, they've heard the good news, and now that God is doing a work through them. And so in, in 2 Thessalonians, Paul is telling them, hey, there's some things that you need to make sure you protect. There's some things that you need to make sure you don't let go of. He's encouraging them to be steadfast, to stay with the faith, and to continue to serve the Lord. Then you get to chapter number three of, of the second epistle and fi- Paul says, finally, brethren, pray for us. And we've been on this idea of prayer and this thought of prayer these past few weeks and we know tonight as Paul is mentioning, we see tonight as Paul, Paul says pray for us. Who was us? That was Paul and those that were traveling with them. Paul said, I've got some desires, I've got some uh, 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 things that I want to do. He said, but would you pray for us. Paul said, I, I know you know the Lord. I, I know you're busy serving the Lord. I, I know you, you're doing a great thing for God, but would you pray for us? And here's what I, as I was studying this, I realized that which Paul was asking prayer for is the same thing that you and I as a church need to ask the Lord prayer for. And if it applies to the individual, then it applies to the group. And we're gonna see here, yes, Paul starts off with a personal prayer request, pray for us. But and through it, he's also just telling them what they need to make sure they're praying for as well. And then not only praying for them, practically following through to make sure they are doing what God has designed and desire them, desires for them to do. I believe every church should pray for the following needs of the church because without them, our church will cease to exist. I'm gonna preach on this all night. Needs every church should pray for. Needs every church should pray for. Verse one, Paul says, pray for us. 
Number one, what did Paul pray for? He, he asked for needed direction. He prayed for needed direction. Look at verse number one. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Paul said, pray that which you have in the church of Thessalonica would carry over with us and that it would continue to go forth. In essence, what the church of Thessalonica did said, we are going to believe the word of God. The word that God has delivered us through men like Paul and Peter and the disciples, we are going to believe that, we're going to follow that, we're going to trust that, and we're going to let it be the guiding direction and the guiding instructions of our church. And Paul said, I'm praying that the same thing would be done for us. He said, first and foremost, Paul deals with the most needed thing. That is the word of the Lord, the word of God in our great need for it. I don't ever, I don't ever want to be a member of a church where the word of God is put away somewhere. It's not something we follow. It's not something that we stick to. We, we use it when it sounds good. I want this to be a place that is solely founded upon the word of God and guided by the word of God. I, there's a podcast that I enjoy listening to. It's, it's a Baptist history and I can't remember the name or it's, it's some, some guy I think from Michigan uh, that's teaching in a Bible college there and, and he was, normally they're, they're inspiring stories. Normally they're like, man, look what God did for that man. Look what God did for that church. Look what God did for those people. And not to, or here recently he had one on, I don't remember the man's name, but man, it was discouraging. He talked about how there was a great church I want to say in Indiana, Illinois, one of those two states, there was a great church that God had blessed and God had grown and they called in a man who was extremely educated. He was, he was very, very uh, smart, very well-educated, well-versed in different things and a very smart man, a scientific man. In the Bible, not the Bible, this man tells the story how this church bought in hook, line, and sinker to whatever he said behind the pulpit without going behind and checking it and seeing if it aligned with the word of God. He said this great church that God had blessed and God had started, they strayed away from the word of God into the traditions of men and the teachings of men. He said that church no longer exists. It's no longer a Baptist church. They are now a Unitarian church and they were proud of it. And so were the members. And can I say tonight, I don't apologize for being a Bible believer. I don't apologize for taking God's word and letting God's word draw the line, make the guidelines, make the instructions, make the rules, because anytime you go with the book, you're going in the right direction. And so we see here tonight that Paul said, hey, pray that the word of God would be important to us. But then he gives these two things here, these two desires. One, that the word of the Lord may have free course and that it may be glorified. Paul's desire for the church concerning the word of God is one that it would have free course. Now let me ask you now, what in the world does that mean? What does it mean for something to have free course? Now, oftentimes I've heard it explained this way, no doubt this is where my mind goes, and no doubt I think the application is there that something that has free course has nothing hindering it. It has full totality, it has full authority, it does whatever it wants to, it has free course how many of you remember being a young, young, you know, young teenager growing up and into adulthood? You couldn't wait because you knew the second you turned 18, you was going to have uncontrolled freedom. Nobody was going to tell you what to do. Nobody's going to tell you when to do it and how to do it. You was going to, you was going to be bad all by yourself. And come to find out, you got more rules and regulations being an adult than you do a kid. 
<laughs> I never had to pay taxes when I was a kid. <laughs> never had to pay insurance when I was a kid. Never had to do those things. I never had a boss tell me, hey, you gotta be here at this time, and if not, you won't have a job no more. Can I say tonight that, that freedom and what we think of it tonight doesn't come from a lack of rules and a lack of expectations, but real freedom comes from the word of God tonight in the regulations that are in God's word, the instructions in the commandments of God's word are the beneficial or produces freedom in our life. We often think that free course just means roaming around. It just does whatever it wants to do. And can I say tonight, the word of God has complete authority in here. You and I ought to not be a hindrance to that which the word of God clearly defines. If God's book says it, we're going to stick with it. We're going to stay with it. It's the authority in all matters of faith and practice. But as I looked it up, I found out there's a, there's a, there's a greater image that comes with it. When he, Paul was saying, the word of God has free course. He was saying, it gives the image of a runner who is running a race. And with everything they have in every part of their being, every fiber of who they are, they run towards a specified goal. In essence, they block out everything else. They don't let anything else distract them. They don't let anything else get in their way. They run towards the goal tonight. And can I say tonight, that how, that's how our church ought to be. If an issue arises, if something comes up, if we have a question, if we have a concern, we need to run to the word of God and let the word of God sort out those matters. We see here tonight that he wanted the word of God to have free course will run to the word of God. And like I said tonight, getting away from the Bible doesn't bring liberty. Getting away from thou shall not does not bring liberty in your life. Matter of fact, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Can I say there's great freedom in truth? There's great liberty in truth. There's great, there's great peace that only comes through truth. So tonight, if you think, boy, if I could just get away from that, if I, if, I could just, if I could just get out on my own, do my own thing, do my, then I'll know what real freedom is. No, you'll know what real bondage is. Real freedom comes from the word of God. He said, pray that the word of God would have free course. Then he also said, pray that the word of God would be glorified. The word of God would be glorified. There's been a lot that has been glorified in the independent fundamental Baptist churches. We've glorified standards. Well, yeah, we're better than them because we don't do like they do. We're better than them because our bulletin only folds once. Theirs folds two times. We've got our standards and we've glorified them. We've separated complete people. and we, We've said they're probably not even saved because they don't cut the grass in a suit. What's wrong with them? We've glorified standards. The independent Baptist movement has glorified statistics. How many have you got saved this year? How many have you baptized? How many have you had in your church? How many do you run on a Sunday morning? I love Brother Odie to death. I love him. He is faithful to count people as they walk into the church house and he counts anybody and everybody. If you walk through that door, you're breathing. Even if you're not, Brother Odie will count you. But I love it. He gets so excited. He gets so excited. Preacher, did you know we had 71 I didn't know that, Brother Odie. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but then when it's down, he said, oh, preacher, pray. I don't know where they've gone. <laughs> well, that makes two of us, Brother Odie. But can I say, it's, it's, it's a blessing to see God's house full, but I didn't get into this thing to, that, to draw a crowd and to build a crowd. 
I got in this thing to preach the word of God and let God do what he does best. Just get me out of the way and let God have his way tonight. But notice here, the statistics have been glorified. Standards have been glorified. Sinners have been glorified. Preachers have become demigods. You have to have that evangelist in because only God speaks through him. You can only fellowship with certain people because nobody else is, in, the, in essence, we have glorified sinners. Well, preacher, what needs to be glorified? The Savior, the Lord, and the scriptures tonight. The scriptures need to be glorified in the house of God. They are God's word. If God holds it above his own name, like we talked about Sunday night, if it's way up here above his own name tonight, then we ought to have it in the same place in our life high and lifted up, glorified and followed. It should have the utmost precedent in our life. Why? You can't live the Christian life without the word of God. Matter of fact, Jesus said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life and they are, which test- they, are they which testify of me. Preacher, how do you know that you're saved? It's because you had a feeling. It's because you had a goosebump as big as an ostrich egg on the back of your neck. It's because your hair stood up when you prayed. It's because, no, it's because I did what the word of God told me to do to be saved. So tonight I'm going to heaven not because somebody prayed with me, not because I had a certain religious experience. I simply took God at his word. Search the scriptures Acts 17, 10, and, brethren immediately, uh, and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. And these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. In essence, Paul's journeys tells us here, the word of God tells us, that Thessalonica was up high when it came to church, uh, uh, how, you, how a church operates, what a church is supposed to do, and what a church was supposed to be. Thessalonica's here. He said, but there's a church that was above them. It was a church that was more noble than them. It was a church of Berea. Why? They received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures. Whether these things were so. And so we see tonight that the word of God needs to be glorified. We need to turn to the word of God in every manner of life. And can I say tonight, listen, if you're in a place and you're going to a church where you're not allowed to ask questions, you need to get out. You need to get out of the side of a cult. But can I say, if you come to me with the question, me and you are fixing to go to the word of God. And we're going to see what God's word has to say about it. You may come to me and I may not know the answer at the time and in the moment. But can we say tonight and agree that we're going to trust that the word of God is always going to be right? And whether these things be so according to the scripture. Romans 15, 4, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Preacher, why? Why do we have the hope of heaven? Why do we have the hope of the return of the Lord and the rapture of the church? Preacher, why do we have hope for those things? It's what God's word says. I didn't come up with the rapture. I don't sing about heaven just because it sounds good. I sing about heaven because it's promised to the believer tonight in God's word. The word of God needs to be glorified. We need the scriptures. We need the scriptures. Let me ask you this evening on a scale of one to ten. How do you see your daily relationship with the word of God? Does it have free course? It is that which you run to at a moment's notice and in a dire situation. On a scale of one to 10, how do you see your daily relationship with the word of God? Now let me ask you this, why is it not a 10? Why is it not a 10? And what needs to be done, what needs to be changed, what needs to be uh, prescribed in order for us to go from wherever we are at and striving for a 10 tonight? 
Number one, we need to pray uh, for direction from the word of God. Brethren, pray for us that the word of God would, may have free course. Number two, we need to pray for needed deliverance. Pray for needed deliverance. Verse number two, and he says that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Now let me ask you tonight, is everybody welcome at South Haven Baptist Church? Of course. I'm not gonna stand at the door and say, mm, not today. Now if somebody's in here trying to do bodily harm, endanger people, now listen, they need to go, they need to get. But those that are, that are outside of the grace of God, those that are just visiting, those that walk in the doors, listen, they're gonna come in and they're just gonna have to get used to the fact that they're gonna keep coming, that the Bible's gonna be preached. But all are welcome here tonight. All are allowed to come to church. There's no stipulations in order for you to walk through that door to sit in on the service and to go to church with us. Some of you would ask me, preacher, is it okay if I come to church and go to church with y'all? Yes, it's fine. I'm not going to be that spiritual to say, no, you're not allowed to come. <laughs> you're not allowed to come. You're, we don't like your kind. <laughs> what does that even mean? Because outside the grace of God, I'm just like them. In the same place that they're in. But we must recognize that not everybody is meant to be a member of South Haven Baptist Church. There's a big difference between being a member and being just someone who's visiting, someone who's coming in uh, just, to, just to enjoy a service with us. A membership means that you and I ascribe to that which we believe comes from the word of God. Preacher, that sounds mean. That sounds mean that you would say that not everybody's supposed to be a member here. And that's something I've had to learn as a pastor. That you, it's better to deal with the differences before than try to fix everything afterwards. To sit down and say, here's what we believe, here's why we believe it. If you have any questions, ask me. And so we see here tonight that Paul was saying, hey, pray for us because there's a needed deliverance. And Paul, what did Paul need to be delivered or rescued from? Unreasonable people. Verse two, unreasonable people. That word unreasonable means out of place, harmful, not befitting. They may look the part, but they won't be the part. They won't be what is necessary and needed in our church tonight. Listen to how they talk. Their words won't edify and encourage. Watch how they live. Their actions won't be Christ honoring and God glorifying. You gotta be around. You gotta listen to them talk. If they're sowing division, they're sowing discord among the brethren, you probably say, yeah, I don't need to be around you. I don't need to hang around you because that's not good. He said, he said pray that the Lord would deliver us from, um, from unreasonable men, men who don't need to be a part of what we're doing. It's unreasonable men and wicked people. It was all to say that wicked men. What is a wicked man? They cause pain and trouble. They're unethical. They relish in gossip. They want to control you and everybody. They instigate division. They enjoy cliques. They are everything anti-Bible in essence. They are everything against what the word of God teaches us to be as a church and as Christians. Preacher, how in the world can those kind of people end up in our church? Simply put, not everybody's saved. Not everybody's saved. Look what he says right there in verse number two. It said, for all men have not faith. For all men have not faith. There will be some. Listen, if, if Judas can get in the 12, and God knowing allowed Judas into the 12, then we know tonight that God will allow that to happen here. 
that God has a reason for it, and it may be to teach us to be on the lookout, to be on the guard. I'm not saying you got to check everybody up and down when they walk in here, but just realize tonight and, and use discernment. That's why Holy Spirit discernment is so important because it helps us make these differences and notice these things. So how do I identify them? How do we eliminate them? That sounds bad, doesn't it? How do we say, all right, listen, we love you, but we're going to have to love you from a distance. How do we do that? Verse number three is the key. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. There's a need of deliverance. Have you ever seen a church hurt or even destroyed because non-spiritual people are attempting to lead in a certain place and lead a certain way that should have been led by spiritual people? Those that are saved or not? Just like that church in Indiana had a great move of God, had the great power of God and turned it over a man who cared nothing about God. We see that night, that's what we need. We need deliverance from that because in my own ability, in my own flesh, I can't read every person correctly. Can I say there's been times where I've got got and I've done things in the right way and the right reasons for the right, right purpose and I still got got. We need to depend on the Lord. Lord, bring in who needs to be here. Lord, we'll welcome anybody. But Lord, if they're going to be a member here, Lord, please send in the right crowd and the right people and those that need to be, don't need to be here, Lord, let them go. We see that we need to pray for deliverance. We need to pray for direction. Number three, we need to pray for discernment. Pray for discernment. All these kind of build upon each other. Verse five through 12 tonight, Paul brings up a lot of things. So much of the Christian life depends on discernment. It hinges on discernment, yet we see so little of it being put into action. We live off statements like this. Sir, I think so. Man, it seems like a good idea. It might work out instead of, I don't know all the ins and outs, but I've prayed over it, and the Lord has given me peace. He's given me the green light. He's given me the go-ahead. I've looked into it. I've weighed out the possibilities. I've seen the potential. It looks like a great opportunity, but God ain't gave me no peace over it, so I'm just going to wait. But we need discernment in our church. We need discernment in our church because there's a lot of people who have chased a good idea. They've, they, they've chased a, 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 a popular mechanic. It's worked somewhere else, so it's got to work here. And that's not always the case. That's not always the case. Can I say tonight what works down the road and work, what works across town may not work here. And if God wanted us to do it, then God would say, all right, this, this is how we're going to do it. But just say, well, it worked there, so we're going to try it here. <laughs> Can I say tonight, I love Brother Josh Williams. I love Brother Mike Andrews. I love Brother Brian O'Neill. I love Brother Terry McCall. I love all those men, but I am not those, I am not those men. There you go. I'm not them. I can't be them. It takes discernment. Notice three areas we have to discern tonight. Three areas that we need to have discernment. We must discern our relationships. Verse number six and seven. Verse number six and seven. And now you know, excuse me, wrong chapter. Now we command you, brethren. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't a, well, if you want to, but you don't have to. This is now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly not after the tradition which you received of us. See, there's some that, that we're going to ask, Lord, take them away from us. And, and Lord, and not just in our church, but in your life. There's going to be some, Lord, take those people out of my life. But some of those, it's going to be you saying, I'm, I'm backing away. I'm pulling myself out of the situation because I realize it's not a good relationship. 
And tonight, there's no such thing as a stagnant relationship. In essence, there is not a, a relationship you'll have with any kind of person that doesn't persuade you one way or the other. There's no such thing as that. Either it's pulling you towards Christ or it's pulling you away from God in every relationship in life. Those who walk in unity point you to Christ. Those that walk oppositely or opposingly pull you away from Christ. An ungodly carnal friend will never draw you closer to Christ. Never draw you closer to Christ tonight. And so when you deal with them and when you have those encounters with them, you need to remind yourself that I'm here to win them to Christ. I'm here to be a Christ-like example to them. And, and sometimes you've got to pull yourself away. Those men that I work with in the cabinet shop, listen, I was there and I, I talked to them. I was at work and, and I enjoyed working with them and we, got, we, we accomplished tasks. We built cabinets and we changed the world. But when it was quitting time, I was going home. Hey, don't you want to come hang out with us? Don't you want to go do this with us? Don't you want to go do it? No, not really. I want to go home and see my family. But I also knew that if I stepped into that hanging out mode and, 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 and spending all the time with them and being around, because here's the thing, when they got off of work, everything they did, that the majority of what they did, I knew was wrong. And what, what they did afterward, I knew it was wrong. If I knew if I just went out and hang, hung out with them, sooner or later I would become them. Because listen, when I say, hey, why don't you come Sunday morning? Ah, I got something to do. Hey, why don't you come Wednesday night and go to church with me? Ah, I got something to do. And so when it was like, hey, you want to go hang out after work? Sorry, I got something to do. What do you got to do? I got to go home. I got to go home. We must discern our relationships. We must discern our responsibilities. Verse number eight, verse number, verse number 10, so neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. And essence, Paul said, I wasn't looking for a free ride. Paul said, well, I, 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 didn't, I didn't walk into cities and proclaim, I'm the preacher of the gospel, y'all must take care of me. Give, every need, give, me, give me everything I want, give me everything that I need because of who I am. And he said, follow the example, don't become entitled. Don't become entitled. That's just, well, preacher, I'm a Christian, so everybody should bow down to me. Everybody should reverence me. No, that's not how it works tonight. It's not how it works. My dad taught me this when I was younger. And he taught me through being, getting uh, discounts at different stores for being a military veteran. And he told me, Tate, you never walk into a place and demand a discount. He said, he said I, that's not why I got into this thing. That's not why I served my country. I wasn't trying to get 10% off at IHOP on Veterans Day. He said, I served my country because I loved my country. And I loved the freedom that we have. And I was willing to defend that even at the highest cost. He said, now if the benefit's there, praise, you know, he didn't say praise the Lord for it. He said, now if the benefit's there, if, if it's expressed, you know, you're more than welcome to use it. But we, we got to get past this thing that as Christians we're entitled and everybody has to give us what we want. Paul said, that's not, that's, that's not what Paul did. Paul worked and wrought night and day that he might preach the gospel with no charge to any man. For even when we were with you, verse number uh, 10, this we commanded that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Paul said, I, I told them when I walked in, if you don't see any of us working, don't feed us. Don't feed us. Don't take care of us. We've, I'm going to skip that. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. You do, you do what you need to be done and you get it done. But notice here he also says, uh, be discerning responsibility. One, not to be entitled, but two, don't become a busybody. Don't become a busybody. Look at verse number 11. For we hear that there were some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, 
but are busy body. You ever met a busy busy body? That's hard to say. You ever met a busy body? They are busy. (laughs) They are constantly doing one thing, then they're doing another thing, and then they're doing another thing, and they're doing another thing, and they're doing another thing. And you stop and say, what have you accomplished today? Nothing. I've been busy, though. Look what I've been doing. (laughs) Kind of like, remember in school, I guess it don't work for homeschool. I remember being in public school. My teacher was out. I knew what we were fixing to do that day had no lasting matter, manner to it. All the teacher was giving us was busy work. I remember we had a teacher, a science teacher. She would be out, and the substitute would put on a movie. It was a scientific movie. And you had to watch the movie and write down 10 facts. And that was her idea that if you write down 10 facts, you must have paid attention during the movie. But I figured a way around it. I would write down 10 facts as fast as I could and go to sleep. My facts were like this. The movie is being played on the TV. It was a fact. The TV is a colored TV. That's a fact. Today is Monday. That was a fact. I'm in chemistry class. I'd have 10 facts done in two minutes and 45 more minutes to sleep. (laughs) What was the movie about? I have no idea. (laughs) But I got 10 facts. Busy work, busy body. We, we do a lot, but we don't, don't accomplish anything. And that's Paul said, don't be a busy body. He said, work for a purpose. Work for a purpose. Work for a reason. Have a purpose behind your work tonight. We must discern our responsibilities. Because imagine that we stand before Christ, we're giving account, and we're telling the Lord all the things that we were busy doing. And he says, well, what did you accomplish? What did you actually do? And we're thinking, well, I did this, I did this, I did this. I, did this. I was so busy, Lord. I don't have time to do this. We must discern our responsibilities. We must discern our realities. I'm not talking about there's one reality for you and one reality for me tonight. But we must determine what is really reality. Verse number 14 and 15, we all have the ability to become arrogant. Look at verse 14. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So it isn't a, look at me, look what I've done. You're terrible, you're a terrible excuse for a Christian. I, I'm, I'm not even for you no more. Rather, it's admonishing them as a brother. You withdraw themselves, so yourself so they come to the realization that what they're doing isn't right. And what they're doing uh, isn't what the Lord wants them to do. We're not attacking them, we're trying to admonish them. That means, that word admonish means to warn or to exhort in that essence. So don't become arrogant, you don't have it all figured out. And yes, there'll be some that you've, you've got to pull away from, but you're not pulling away from them because you're your enemy. You're pulling away from them because you know what they're doing is not right. And you're pulling away is in essence saying what you're doing is not right. We all have the ability to become arrogant. We also have the ability to become weary. Look at verse number 13. But ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Preacher, how do you know we all have the ability to become weary? Because Paul warns us not to become weary in well-doing. Not weary in living a sinful lifestyle. Not weary in going against the word of God. Those things bring about godly sorrow. Those things bring about weariness because they're wrong. There's that battle going on between the spirit and the flesh. But he said, don't become weary in well-doing. That means me and you could be given everything we have, doing everything right. And if our heart's not right, if we don't have the right, the right heart behind it, the right reasons behind it, not, we all have the ability to become weary. Here's the thing, our, your, our well-doing shouldn't be for recognition. 
If you're doing it so somebody recognizes you, you will quickly become weary. You'll quickly become weary. We must learn to do things simply for the Lord. And one of the things I remember being teaching children's church like Miss Holly does and doing Wednesday in the Word and, and back there teaching the kids week after week after week after week, hardly anybody would come up and say, so what'd you teach on today? What'd you teach my kids? And you think, man, does it even matter? Does it even, but that's where I learned. It's not about recognition. It's not whether or not a parent comes up to me afterwards and says, hey, thank you for teaching my kids. It's not whether or not I get recognized during the year. Or anything like that. It's I, I want to invest in these young people. I want to invest in you because that's what the Lord would have me to do. And he's, he's my reward. I already, you realize as a Christian, we already have our reward. We already have it tonight. It's Christ. It's, it's not a promotion. It's not recognition. It is the Lord tonight. How, how do you become, how do you, how do you, uh, uh, not become weary in well-doing, you realize that you already have your reward. We're not working for a reward, we're working from a reward tonight. How often do you rely on godly discernment before you make a decision? Are you currently doing what the Lord would have you to do or are you just doing stuff to look busy? Then notice number four tonight, we need to pray for dependence. Pray for needed dependence, verse number 16. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. Lord be with you all. If there's anything as a pastor of South Haven Baptist Church that I want here, it's peace. Real peace. Because tonight there's two kinds of peace. One, there's apparent peace, there's authentic peace. Apparent peace is not real peace. But rather we just kind of put up with each other and we act like everything's just fine. <laughs> we got problems with one another and we got issues with one another, but we just, we don't, no, we're not going. We're just going to come in, we're going to smile, we're going to fake it till we make it. Can I say tonight, if you have to fake it till you make it, when you fake it, or when you make it, you'll find out what you made it to is not what you wanted. You can't fake it till you make it in the Christian life. You have to be honest. You have to be authentic. You have to be open and, and real with people. The glaring problem if you fake it till you make it is once you get to where you thought you was going to get, you're going to find out that's not what you actually want. Apparent peace is built by compromise and appeasement, not genuine or genuineness and, and compassion tonight. We see that there's apparent peace, but there's also actual or authentic peace. That only comes from the Lord. But look at verse number 16. When can we have authentic peace? He said it works all the time. Look what he says in verse number 16, always. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always. Always. Tonight, there's, that means as we walk through life, there is always an opportunity for God's peace to, to go over our hearts, God, God's peace to soothe us, God's peace to cover us, Always there is the opportunity to have that. That means that our church should always has the potential to always have the peace of God amongst the members tonight. It works all the time. It also works in every situation, by all means. There's not a situation in life where you and I can't have the peace of God. In essence, and that works both ways, there's the peace of God that tells us to go and there's the peace of God that tells us to stay. I think if Moses would have started building boats and trying to figure out how to get across the Red Sea himself, Israel would have died that night. But what did God tell Moses to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord? He had to wait. And yet he had peace about not stepping into the Red Sea until God told him to do so. Here's the thing. Real peace can't be achieved by fake means. It can't be achieved by fake means. Only through faith and obedience to the word of God can you and I have peace tonight. If our church is going to be at peace one with another, 
it's not because we have great people skills. <laughs> it's not because we are great speakers one to another. 